Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we have a worst of battle. I will be bringing the bad of December 1975 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, rolling with the homies and representing the 90s, say hello to Man Crush. Yeah, it's I'm in some weird air area. I haven't had the 90s in couple weeks but yeah i got the worst of december of 1997 also joining us on the panel this week and going back to the 80s please welcome trevor gumbel hey guys i am repping one of my favorite years but the worst of it so a little out of my wheelhouse but we'll see what happens uh december 1989 and as always here on the show we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness so you will know this week's celebrity guest judge from films like Dangerous Minds, Hackers, Daylight, and Con Air. All rise for actor, singer, designer, and now judge, Renally Santiago. Welcome. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first, out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, TV, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we will go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show, listen, subscribe, and play along at home as we commence another episode of Dueling Decades. All right, let's toss it right down to Renly Santiago for the coin toss. Now, do I do heads or tails or a who, how does it go? Who calls what or do I do it and then I call out what? Trevor, you're going to call it in the air. Okay, Uh, so I am going to call tails. Do you say action? All right, action. <laughs> Beautiful form. Tails. Trevor. All right, Trevor, you won the coin toss and get to select our first category. Where are we going? All right, I think I'm going to get this one out of the way and pick news. All right, and my news of December 20th, 1989. Uh, you guys all remember in the early 90s dan quayle had that whole thing of misspelling potato with an e yes uh was a whole thing was a whole debacle but little did we know that wasn't the first time he did something like this december 20th 1989 from times wire services quayle no beacon of spelling barbara bush's literacy efforts could start close to home with christmas cards sent out by vice president dan quayle and his family a misspelling of 
beacon was in the holiday message handwritten by the vice president's wife, Marilyn Quayle, who has a law degree from Indiana University. Her staff and the printer who recreated the holiday wishes failed to catch the error. May our nation continue to be the beacon, B-E-A-K-O-N is how they spelled it, of hope to the world. May our lives continually be guided by the light of the Lord's love. May he bless you and keep you during this holiday season and throughout the new year. Reads the card sent to 30,000 people at the expense of the Republican <laughs> National Committee. It is signed fondly, the Quails. Yeah, so 30,000 copies of this card with the misspelling of Beacon as B-E-A-K-O-N <laughs> instead of B-E-A-C-O-N. And nobody noticed it. So that is my news for December 1989, Dan Quayle misspelling another word. All right, Man Crush, let's hear what you have for the news round. All right, so let's go to December 1st of 1997. This is a story that was literally everywhere for months. And this was an enormous story when it occurred. It's a big story since incidents like this one, they rarely occur publicly. And I think it, it suffice to say but in 1997, no one was running around with a camera like they do today. So had this occurred in 2020, we'd probably know 100% what had happened. But since it didn't, we have an idea what happened, what some of the team said, and of course, what PJ Carlissimo and Latrell Sprewell said when the whole thing was over. Uh, but I bring this up because the team did initially try to sweep this one under the carpet, but the league ended up finding out a few days later and that's when the story was plastered on the back page of every newspaper in America. But here it is from the Daily News on December 5th, 1997. And the title of the story is Sting Spree. NBA commission suspends beleaguered Latrell Sprewell for one year. And I'll sum this one up real quick. Apparently, uh, if you guys are familiar with the NBA, P.J. Carlissimo, you know, who's known for being like a ball-busting, hard-nosed head coach. And a few weeks prior to this, Carlissimo, he benched Sprewell for an entire game because he was laughing on the bench when Golden State was losing. They were getting blown out, and he whispered in Sprewell's ear that he was a joke. So I guess that didn't sit well. So fast forward a couple of weeks, these guys are already on rocky terms. Carlissimo, again, he shouts out Sprewell at practice and tells him in front of the rest of the team that his passes were weak. Now, to someone telling that to you or I, it's no big deal. But when you say something that basic to a three-time NBA All-Star, it ruffles some feathers. That would be like Mark telling Joe Rogan to move closer to the mic when he speaks. <laughs> I mean, so Latrell, he lost his shit. He starts choking Carlissimo in front of the entire team and dragging him across the gym floor. The team breaks it up. Spree goes to take a shower. Situation appears over. Then 20 minutes later, Spree comes running out of the locker room. And of course, we don't have photographic evidence. We don't have video or anything like that. This is just hearsay. And he punches Carlissimo in the jaw. And this is where the story gets kind of weird and fuzzy because some people say he connected in the jaw. Other people say he connected in the neck. And if you saw the pictures of Carlissimo afterwards, he definitely looked like he was attacked by somebody. Either way, uh, Latrell Sprewell, he's suspended by the league with no pay for an entire year, which at the time was the harshest punishment in league history. Uh, he ended up losing over $6 million. Uh, but of course, he would end up getting traded to the Knicks in 1998, where we totally embraced Sprewell. Uh, sadly, this pretty much tarnished his career at that point because it's usually what he's remembered for. Uh, the best part of this whole thing, aside from Spree taking the Knicks to the finals in 1999, in that shortened season, which was awesome. We didn't win, but, you know, 
it, it what it is what it is. But a couple years before this actually happened, Spreewell was in an anti-violence PSA that was on television, which is like, how did this happen? How did this guy flip? But that's what happened. December 1st, 1997, the worst of the news. Wow. All right, guys. So I know we have a, uh, a rule on this show that we don't like to bring the sadness, but this is a worst stuff episode and I have 1975. So not only am I bringing the sadness, I am bringing world record breaking sadness. So we're going to go to the Salt Lake Tribune on Christmas Day, 1975, to an article where the headline reads, Bolt of Lightning Kills 21. Salisbury, Rhodesia, lightning kills 21 people when it struck a hut when they were seeking shelter from the rain, Rhodesian police said here Wednesday. The dead included 14 children, Three people survived the incident, which occurred Tuesday in the uh, tribal lands of eastern Rhodesia. The total number of people killed by lightning this year in Rhodesia since October 1st is now 53, one of the worst periods on record. So this still to this day is a world record for the most people killed by lightning at one time. Not the world record you want. No, it is not the world record you want, but it is world record breaking sadness. So that's what I have for the worst of. December 1975. Let's toss it down to Renaldi Santiago for the ruling on the news round. Well, um, I think it's the vice president that really sucks. <laughs> no, 1975, guys, come on. I mean, hello. <laughs> Mark came with the sadness in round one. Way to go, dude. Way to bring it down. Dude. Yeah, Mark, you went for it. You brought it. <laughs> Talk about bringing cloudy days, man. <laughs> How like what's the odds of getting hit by lightning? Isn't it like the the same as winning the lotto? And they had fifty people in one season. Fifty three people since from October to December. Actually, fellas, and- that record was broken in nineteen eighty eight by a man named Skunk who was hit by lightning sixty six <laughs> times in the head. <laughs> Whoa, is this real? He really got hit. <laughs> no, I'm referencing. You ever seen the movie The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd? Oh my gosh, it's been forever, but aw, love those guys. All right, well, I bring the sadness and I pick up a point in the first round, but more importantly, I get to take control of the board and select our next category. So, you know what? We're going to go straight to the movies round. Oh, God, that's All right. early. All right, so for my movie. Released December 15th, 1975, I give you the all-time classic in the first sequel in the line of many, many unnecessary sequels, Emmanuel 2, Emmanuel, The Joys of a Woman. Yes, this is a follow-up to the original Emmanuel classic. I'm sure you've all have seen it really late night on Skinamax or HBO. Sylvia Christel plays Emmanuel, and in this adventure, she actually goes to visit her husband, who, of course, she has an open relationship with. And uh, they go on a journey where she has many, many, many sexual encounters with all the different people she meets. Matter of fact, during the film, she masquerades as a prostitute in a Hong Kong brothel, has has sex with a tattooed man in the locker room of a polo club. And then in the climax of the film, no pun intended, <laughs> her husband actually ends up having sex with this woman, Anna Marie, and taking her virginity, who previously in the story 
they established was the stepdaughter of one of his former lovers. So his ex-girlfriend's stepdaughter, he then deflowers. Class. Yeah, total. So that's what I'm bringing for the worst of December 1975. Emmanuel 2, coming to a theater near you. (laughs) You had to go there, didn't you? Um, All right, Trevor, let's hear what you have for the movies round. All right. Now, we're all a fan of a good underdog sports movie, right? Uh, Yeah. So what better to get your juices flowing and, you know, root for the underdog than the adrenaline-pumping, high-stakes world of college debate? Um, <laughs> this um, was actually released on video December 1989 excuse me and it stars our favorite Christian Kirk Cameron uh, Amanda Peterson uh, Jamie Kurtz one of my all time crushes and Roy Scheider um, the movie is called Listen to Me it involves a college debate team headed by Kirk Cameron as they seek to debate the abortion issue which is a pretty heady thing for 1989 for a PG-13 film aimed at mostly teenagers starring the biggest heartthrob of the time. It didn't go over very well. Leonard Maltin said it was a slick travesty set on the kind of party campus where Dick Dale and the Deltones wouldn't be out of place. The climatic abortion debate is cheap and hokey in roughly equal measure, and beware of Kirk Cameron's shifty Oklahoma accent. Actually, the marketing was going to focus on Kirk Cameron, then at the height of his popularity... But the producer, Jerry Weintraub, overrode them and insisted that the ads emphasize the abortion issue. So, I mean, this film was kind of doomed at the start because they wanted to raise controversy and get people talking, but it didn't work. It only grossed like $4 million. I'm actually surprised Kirk Cameron was in the film because, I mean, this is around the time he had converted to Christianity. So I'm surprised he would do a film that even touched on the abortion issue without, like, being staunchly pro-life. So my pick... For December 1989 is the film Listen to Me. Wow. Now, do I have to watch it, too, or can I just listen to it? I didn't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) The only way I was able to watch it, I couldn't find it for streaming. It was only available for, like, $2.99 rental, and I didn't want to waste my money. Probably a good decision. Probably. It's hard times right now. I mean, I love Jamie Gertz, but I don't know if I love her that much. (laughs) You love Jamie Gertz, just not $2.99 worth of Jamie Gertz. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the movies round? All right, so let's go to December 12th of 1997. Now, this is probably a movie like Scarlett Johansson probably does talk about this at social gatherings or anything like that. That being said, this franchise, it has brought in nearly a billion dollars worldwide. However, 90% of the total comes from the first two movies alone. The final three movies... And yes, there were three of these. I was today years old when I realized that there were actually two more than this one. Uh, They made absolutely squat in comparison to the first two. And uh, you have to question, like, how did John Hughes go from making The Breakfast Club and Planes, Trains and Automobiles, Ferris Bueller, Weird Science, Christmas Vacation to making this piece of shit? I mean, God rest his soul. And us just discussing this movie must have him turning in his grave right now. First, let's look at the box office where this movie made around $80 million worldwide. It was roughly $130 million in 2020 with a budget of about $32 million. So the numbers weren't bad. Unless, of course, you compare it to the last film in the franchise that took in around $360 million in 1992. So obviously this movie it didn't have the desired effect on the audiences. 
but this wasn't the original plan for the movie either. Apparently, part three was supposed to be filmed at the same time as the second movie, but plans fell through. Four or five years went by, and now they lost the star of the film who quit acting. The directors of the first two movies are doing other things. And even the brother of the lead actor, who is going to be the backup, he didn't want to do it. So what do they do? You hire the guy that was in charge of editing for the first two movies, and you get him to direct in his directorial debut. This is the same guy that made the classic Beverly Hills Chihuahua. And uh, you get Dead Ringers of Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd hired an unknown to take over the lead role. You sprinkle in espionage because that always works. And on top of that, you add in a case of chicken pox and don't really make this a Christmas movie and waste the opportunity to fully utilize Scarlett Johansson, who has just plays the sister. So if you want to see a movie where the Pruitts neglect their young son, Alex, more than the McAllisters did by leaving their son home alone, they leave his son. This kid has chicken pox. They leave him home alone like 47 times. It's like, eh, I'm going to work. Like They just keep leaving this kid at home alone. After he calls the cops multiple times for seeing burglars at houses across the street. Nobody believes this kid. But if all that sounds good to you, then go out and get yourself a copy of Home Alone 3. <laughs> Amazing movie. But you know what? Uh, I did find in newspapers while I was doing research that Roger Ebert actually called Home Alone 3 better than the first two. Wow. Which leads us to like... What is wrong with Roger Ebert? <laughs> well, he did like Cop and a Half, so... Uh, so does Bo Beecraft. So, question then, Macaulay Culkin didn't do Home Alone 3? No. See, this is the first time I ever watched it was the other night. Um, and I always skipped it because of the fact that he's not in it. So, I, I guess at the, this point, he was already like 14 or 15 years old, and he was focusing on going to high school. He didn't want to act anymore. Which, by the way, a little trivia, we went to the same high school. Really? No shit. Yeah, I went to school with Macaulay and his brother. So that's why I'm just curious. Which brother played the role? Uh, it wasn't. They wanted his uh, the brother that was in Home Alone. What's the uh, the younger? Karen. Yeah, they wanted him yeah. to be the, the, the new guy. And they were going to do it as like a family member of the McAllisters and continue with the franchise. But I guess he didn't want to do it. So they just pull in this kid. Who I don't even know what his name His name was Alex something or other. I don't even remember what his name Alex was. Alex D. Linz. Yeah, yeah, Alex D. Linz. He had a couple small roles and things over the years, but mm -hmm. they just pull him in to do this movie. And the movie is so campy compared to the first two. You can't see it as a John Hughes movie. It's I watched it without even knowing it was a John Hughes movie. I watched it first last night, and then I did the research, and I was like, you got to be shitting me that John Hughes wrote this movie. He must have been drinking like a bottle of scotch when he did this, like constantly it's oh my the weirdest movie ever Whoa. but then there's two more there's a four and a five Jeez. and now they're rebooting of it of course of so course. wow wow yeah so guys yes i did go i went to professional children's school which is a small private school for you know young actors and whatnot and so mccully was in my school and um and his brothers and stuff so yeah that's wild were you got yeah. were you in same classes or you're no, ahead of him. He was, yeah, um, that's it's a very small um, private school. So there's only 200 students in the entire school, and it goes from kindergarten to 12th grade. Oh wow! Yeah, in the in the same building. So 
some classes, like it could be a first grade class, it's uh, all the students that are in, in the first grade are in the same class and whatever. So each grade has like maybe one or two classes depending on the size of students. So like, you know, um, depending on the year too. So it could be like, if there's only 12 third graders, then it's a 12, it's, you know, third grade class that's 12 students, that's you know? Wild. Yeah, so he was, uh, he was in the elementary school and I was in high school. That is nuts. So obviously everybody knew him at that yes. point. Yeah. That, that's got to be weird, right? Like going to school and everybody knows yeah. somebody that's like a megastar like that at that point. Yes. Well, I mean, professional children's school is um, a star, a young star right. school. So he wasn't the only, you know, famous person in the school. I went to school with Sarah Michelle Geller and um donald Faison from scrubs right. and then myself i was already you know on television a little bit um you know a couple of people so it wasn't like it, you know nobody treated him like a star right so nobody's school. getting starstruck then no that's cool. no yeah no that that's wild who was in your graduating class donald Faison from wild. scrubs yeah. Yeah, yeah i was just talking about him with my wife earlier we were talking about clueless where he's getting his head shaved. And I, I don't know why we were eating dinner and I, my hair was all screwed up and I was like, I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. And she's like, I'm going to tell your mother. I was like, no, what are you doing? Wow. Well, do yes, Donald was always the nicest guy and he's just like so approachable. Like the way he appears on TV, he's just like that. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. So nice. I mean, it's weird. We were very close friends growing up too because outside of high school we were part of a theater group that um was so much fun and we used to do a lot of performing and a lot of acting um live you know stage acting and stuff so yeah good times man small world very yeah all right Renly, let's hear your verdict for the movies round well i do have to say that listen to me sounds like a freaking nightmare and a wasted life <laughs> <laughs> two hours of your life if you watch it so i would say that and i'm not being biased for macaulay's movies you're not even though he wasn't in it but yeah listen to me it's like what yeah i mean that sounded bad to me too yeah, yeah. horrible yes and great title for like if you're falling asleep at least the title's trying to tell you like listen to me you know what i mean it's what kirk cameron says when he's trying to do a sermon <laughs> yeah I want to know what side was Kirk Cameron on in the movie. I hope he was on like pro life side because that would have been weird. If well, I don't think he would have done the movie if he was on a if he was on a pro choice. Yeah, side. that's what. I'm, okay, I mean that would have been very bizarre. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. You know, I guess you could say his career got left behind. Oh yeah. man. Well, I mean, the thing about it is too that I mean, you know, I'm all for women's rights. So I mean, I can imagine um, people like seeing something like that and just being totally turned off. Anyway. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even if it's a movie, you don't want it like who wants to see that debated in a movie? Yeah, especially by, you know, I don't think a man would be debating women's rights, especially in a film, because that would turn a lot of people off. You know, having a man talk about women's rights. Yes. Especially Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And Roy Scheider. Like, what a cast. <laughs> wow. So it's perfect for a worst of episode. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not even mad I lost that round. <laughs> So, Trevor, congratulations. You pick up a point, tie up the game, and you take control of the board heading into our final one-point round. All right. I think I'm going to go for Hot Product. 
And my hot product was um, released December 3rd, 1989. Actually made its film debut um, before it was released to the public in the classic, cult classic Fred Savage film, The Wizard. Um, every kid wanted one of these things. Even I did. Um, this thing was, you know, looked cool. It felt cool. And we wanted to do what it did in the film, which was control everything without touching a button, which is like motion control, like uh, Lucas did in the film. Of course, I'm talking about the Power Glove. It didn't go on sale till the next year, but it premiered in December, and I actually got one of them for Christmas that following year. I remember being so excited to put this thing on and play Super Mario Brothers without having to do anything. It's like, yeah, jump, jump, jump. No, it was garbage. So I kept thinking to myself, is this set up wrong? Did, is the sensors not done correctly? So I ended up calling the, the Nintendo support, and they were no help. So ended up only using it maybe once or twice and never using it again. But I did keep it because I thought it looked very cool. It had that kind of cyberpunk aesthetic, which I was really into. Cyberpunk, hey. Of course, you know well about that, uh, Renally. So my pick for 1989 is the Power Glove. Okay. All right, Man Crush, what do you have for hot products? All right, let me just preface this first by saying, so what we did for Hot Products, this is a worst of episode, but we did it a little bit different here. We went with the top Christmas item for that season, and Renly, you get to pick what the worst one is. So whatever year had the worst top product, it is what it is. So my year, 1997, I just graduated high school in 96, so I did not have one of these. I knew about it, and we've discussed this on the show before. I think somebody else had it as a pick, but it was more than just one, and this is virtual pets, and I'm not even going to throw out just one because I'll read part of this article right here. This thing, it took over the globe. Uh, it says they are hungry. They're lonely. They need to go out. Their bark is definitely worse than their bite. Then again, these pets don't actually bark or meow. They beep. Virtual pets are the latest crazes holiday season with three different brands ranking as the first, third, and fourth hottest toys in demand. This is, of course, in uh, 1997. According to a list of the 15 most wanted Christmas toys compiled by Toy Manufacturers of America. So pretty much you had uh, you had Tamagotchi, you had Gigapets, and you had Nano Babies. And that out of the top four toys, they were three of the top four. So you put all those together, 1997 was the year of virtual pets. And I watched a video earlier because, like I said before, I didn't have one of these. I think they only went for like 10 bucks or something. They ranged depending on which one you had. I think Tamagotchi was the most expensive and then it went backwards from there. But I watched this video earlier on YouTube of these uh, two ladies who are probably, I know it's hard to uh, to label a woman, but I'm going to say they were both like in their late 30s and they were talking about having grown up with these and it was a big part of their childhood. And as adults, they made a bet with each other who can take care of one the best and it was going to live throughout the week or whatever. Who would want this thing? It like it was beeping in the middle of the night while she was trying to sleep. Like it needs to be played with all day or it dies. You got to feed it. And it's not like this is, of course, this is in a time before cell phones. So this is what we had in 1987. I, there were no games on our beepers. So people were wearing this on their backpack or attaching it to their keychain and carrying it around. But it doesn't even seem that fun. I mean, you look at the thing. It just had like icons. It was like, remember those really crappy games? Yes. That we used to get, what were those called? Those LCD games? 
like the 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 tiger handheld games, yeah. Yeah, it, that's what it looked like. Like it didn't do anything. Like why were they people so into this? They were anxiety inducing. I mean, 1997. I was going to bars. <laughs> Yeah. Now, what do you mean about feeding them? What did what did they mean by that? So, so there was three, like on the Tamagotchi, which is the one that I, I primarily looked at. It had three buttons on it. So, like, if it needed to be fed, you had to hit the button. So it wasn't like you really had to feed it or do anything, any actions with it. You just hit a button, and it beeped at you until you did, until you touched yeah, until the you gave it enough food or whatever, and then you saw how much it grew. It was like what? Okay. <laughs> But that was uh, that. That's what they wanted. Nineteen ninety-seven virtual pets. You had three options, and you probably had more than that because you know, once there's a, a company that puts something out that's amazing, forty-six other companies do the same thing. So, aside from these three, I'm sure there were other ones. But here's three alone. How many more do you need? That's what I got. Virtual pets. Nineteen ninety-seven. All right. So we'll go to nineteen seventy-five, and they liked a different kind of pet. So we'll go over to the Miami Herald, December 27th, 1975. In an article that reads, In case you've just returned from a sled dog expedition in Nome, or you've been out of touch with civilization for some time, you may not be aware that the pet rock is a four-ounce stone sitting on a layer of hay in a hamster-sized box, and it was the big Christmas item this year. (laughs) Its promoters promise that each rock, pedigreed of course, can be trained to follow obedience commands, do amusing tricks, and roll over, skip, play dead, fetch, and even attack. (laughs) Throw it at your friends. (laughs) The care and training of your Pet Rock handbook does not explain why it is such an amusing thing to play with, but it does tell you that it has attack training, both for long distance and close range attacks. The easiest way to teach your Pet Rock to roll over is to place your Pet Rock on a hill, then give it a little push. And it'll, it should roll right over for you, it oh, says. God. Wow. Wow. It is, though, unfortunately, slightly more difficult to teach your pet rock to come. It says, uh, bend down like you would talk to a dog, but then you have to. <laughs> it says to step closer and closer towards the rock, and you will see it come closer to you. So, yeah. The pet rock, man. It sounds like you're doing all the work. You are. It's absolutely (laughs) horrible. This is like one of the worst products ever, and the descriptions of it are just as bad. It was made in 1975 by an advertising executive, Gary Dahl. He made about 95 cents per rock sold, and he sold millions of them. I love it. So that's what I got for the worst product of 1975. Hot for Christmas, it's the pet rock. The funny thing is, when we were talking about this, I said to Mark, I was like, yeah, you'd pick like whatever, you know, in 1975, it's probably like yeah. a, a pet rock or something. And sure as shit, it was it the, was pet, the rock. pet rock. <laughs> wow. It's better than lawn darts, I guess. I wonder when the guy invented it, did he think people were going to fall for it? Were he like, you know what? I'm just going to fuck with people. Let's see if they actually buy this thing. And <laughs> lo and behold, millions got sold. And he was like, what the hell did I just do? Just count his money. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It sounds it's it's actually kind of genius, believe it or not. I mean, hearing it, it's it's totally because, you know, he was basically um, I'm sure he had to be in on the joke in the sense of, you know, the whole thing about the pet rock. I mean, uh, anyway, so keep going. Let me know when I got to decide. Anybody want to fight for their <laughs> I'm not going to fight for Anybody my I mean, wanna debate. It's the worst of I'm not going to defend this crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fight you with my power glove. How about that? I'm pretty sure that your toy is mine 
and like they're the same thing. Yes. It might just the 1997 version of the pet rock. It really is. Yeah. It sure is in that weird way. Um, it definitely shows a market, but it's so funny. Um, well, I've definitely made my choice though. Do you want to hear it? All right, Brennan let's hear okay. your verdict. Well, having my little dog came into the scene while we were doing this Aww. segment to protest. So, and I don't know if you heard her barking. Everybody yep. meet Pocket Diva. Hi. <laughs> Is that a Lhasa? She's a Yorkie. A Yorkie, okay. Yes, he's a little pocket, a teacup Yorkie. Oh, she's adorable. Thank you. I can't get down the street without her um, causing a stir. She's she's more famous than me, basically. So it's like, <laughs> no, nobody gives a f about like they don't even look in my eyes. They're like, oh my god, on top of her, and I'm like, they're like, oh, you were in Hackers. <laughs> oh, look at that dog. Yeah, I'm her manager. So guys, if you want to book her, get in touch. If it helps my case, Renally. The power glove yes. was in Hackers. Was it? Yeah. the It was the scene where they were interrogating Joey, um, and they're going through his computer stuff, and, w- and one of the agents has a, a power glove on his hand. Which I don't, oh, know what, I don't know what that has to do with computers, but maybe the producers thought it looked cool. Probably. Absolutely. Well, the art designer, by the way, which he was amazing, um, what was his name? Roger Burton. Uh, he just did a museum. They just did a museum for the costumes of, of hackers. So there's like this whole thing. So if anybody out there wants to look that up, just look up hackers costume museum or something. And so he was really amazing. He did also a movie um, called Brazil, which is very famous. And so he was very out into, you know, obviously with the costumes and all that in the movie. So I'm sure he, he handpicked that just to have it in there for, you know, nostalgia or whatever it was, you know, but of yeah. course the fake, the fake pets, I mean, gotta take it for the worst. Which one though? Yeah. My, <laughs> my fake pet or Mark's fake pet? I, um, I would say, um, the, um, the, the computer one, the, the, the bad, virtual the, pets, the virtual pet pisses me off. No. <laughs> Wait, so you don't want this thing beeping at you in the, at 3 o'clock in the morning because it wants to get, like, medicine or some shit? I would smash it. No, no, don't mess with my sleep. Are you kidding me? I'm going to feed you to my hammer. It does fit in, though. It, it kind of fits in with hackers a little bit. I mean, we're, we're talking about that time period. In that movie... I was a like I read religiously 2600 magazine growing up. I've been on I've been using computers since like 1988. Wow. So when Hackers came out, I was like, oh, I got to see this because I was like at my high school. I was probably like the only kid on the Internet at the time. So I was like, all right, wow. I got to check this out. And uh, as soon as I'm watching the movie, the first name I see pop up, of course, Matthew Lillard is Emmanuel Goldstein, who is really Eric Corley from 2600 magazine. So I was like, oh shit, like what is going on? And then they're pulling out all the, you know, the books, the big red book and this, and then the scene that got me, and this is something that I had, and I don't even know if I should say this on here, but whatever, it's been a long time. But when you're using the red box on the payphone, I'm not even sure if you know, that's what it's called. But when you're, you take that little box and you hold it up to the phone and it goes, and it like makes the tones. We had those. That was like real shit back then. And I remember like using it at high school. Did it work? Oh yeah, it worked. Especially with the old, there were different types of telephones back then. There were different types of pay phones. And if I'm boring, you guys let me know. But there was uh 
the easier like ones, if it, if it was labeled like 9X or like AT&T or something, those were hard to do it on. But there were other payphones that were called Cocots. And what a Cocot was, it was a, a payphone that was independently owned by like Mark. Like Mark owns a payphone. He puts it at 7-Eleven. And those are like the lowest level. So you can like take that red box and especially like in the later nineties, maybe in the early nineties was a lot easier, but like by 96, 97, around that area, you had to find a cocot. And usually you would find that by, you would look at the label at the top and it usually would say the phone number on it. And it would say like whoever owned it. And if it was a cocot, it would just be like some random name instead of seeing like nine X or, you know, whatever bell you right. might've been living in at the time. So it was really wild. And, um, watching that movie, like there's so many references to things like your character, you're the phantom freak. Did you ever meet? Like, obviously I'm guessing that you were supposed to be like nine X freak, right? Mm -hmm. The king of nine X. Yeah. Did you, did you guys ever like meet those guys to, cause they were all oh, MOD members and stuff. Called, there was a guy called nine X freak. You mean that was a real, uh, yeah. Hacker? Yeah. No, you know, no, I didn't know. No, no uh, we didn't meet any of the people that we were um, based on. Uh, I This is the first time I even hear of 9X Freak because um, I always thought that my character was um, sort of just, you know, the, the writer's, um, you know, creation. Like they made it up or something. Yes, because I know a few of the characters sometimes were a mix of different people, you know, real people and stuff. So, no, we didn't meet any of those people because, you know, it was about a film about crime and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But we did have um, people that trained us about hacking and the culture and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was it was wild watching it because, yeah, so basically like everything's based on M.O.D. at the time. So it was Masters of Deception or like whatever they wanted M.O.D. to stand for that day. And it's a great book if you guys want to go out. I read this one was in high school. Uh, the guys from MOD got arrested in the early nineties. Uh, what was his name? Fiber optic. I think his name was, he went away like in the early nineties and he got out in, like 94, 95. And they put out a book. There was masters of deception. Um, the gang that ruled cyberspace. And it came out my senior year. And I remember reading it and I, I knew about those guys early on. They were like gods of the underworld back then. It was, it's just crazy. So like when you actually say something in a scene, and that's why I thought you were nine X freak because you say something like, well, again, I say, I, I say I'm the king of nine X king of nine. Okay. Yeah. So that, I think that's where I probably tied the two together, but yeah, yes. dude, I love that movie. Fantastic yes. movie. One of my favorites. It's one of my absolute favorites. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Trevor, Trevor said, nobody's allowed to say this. So I'm going to say it now. Hacked planet. <laughs> Hack the planet! Hack the planet! All right, yes. can I say it then? Am I allowed to say it then? If everyone else, if anarchy has no, now you said nobody's allowed to say it, so now you can't say it. Well, I ain't nobody. Dork. No, go ahead, go ahead, Trevor. <laughs> go ahead. You have to yell it though, as loud as you can. Hack the planet! Okay, now I feel like a fool. But <laughs> why don't we all listen? Why don't we all bring it for nostalgia? Why don't we all, all four of us, say "Hack the planet"? Man, you got the real Phantom Freak here. Ready? Let's do On it. Three. Ready? One, two, three. Hack, Hack the, the planet! planet! <laughs> My wife's probably upstairs. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> now wait a minute, guys, because we were talking about rocks. I have. I want to introduce my pet rock. Oh, because I oh, have rocks. You have a pet rock. Yes, that's why I was like, "That's not bad. That's good." So I oh, have a pet rock. It. You ready to meet it? Yeah. 
thing. And I have several, but this is my, the pet rock I wanna introduce you to. I think it's gonna like blow, blow your mind a little bit, okay? This is my pet rock. Oh, very cool. Wow. Ooh. Now you ready? Now before I strike it, because it's gonna hypnotize everybody that listens to the show and I'm gonna hypnotize you all okay. and hack you all. Okay. <laughs> this is the tuning fork that's gonna play a C, which is gonna cause me to hypnotize you all. Ready before you change your mind. Listen to my voice. Go into your bank account. <laughs> Empty out your account. Cash app. <laughs> Cash app. <laughs> 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 He's like transferred nine dollars. <laughs> I'll take whatever you got, which ain't much. It's Christmas, remember? It's all gone, man. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, though. I didn't even realize they made sounds like that with those things. Wow. Yes. Now the beauty of it, which is why you're going to see why it's worth being called the pet rock, is because this is a diamond. Oh wow! This Ooh. is a raw diamond. A raw yeah, diamond. Yeah. That is absolutely massive. It's almost the size of your head. Never seen one of those before, actually. Wow. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So, this is why I can strike it. Cash app. And it. Cash app. <laughs> Quit doing that, man. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. No, yes. But, um,. Yeah, no, this is, uh, you can buy them online or whatever, and they're, they're crystals, basically, but it's, you can also get a raw diamond, which in the crystal world, pet rock world, no making fun, teasing, um, it, you know, the, 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 the diamond, you know how people, like, use quartz crystal and stuff like that, right. the diamond is a the, the, the stone that transmutes most clearly in, and, and receives and gives out the energy that you're trying to give out the most powerful. So oh, very cool. That is get a pet rock. <laughs> I should plug my sister's shop, but she probably well, Renly has a shop. So, I mean, <laughs> if he wants to plug his shop. Yes, I oh, plug your shop. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I have phantomfreak.com. Awesome. Thank you. Where you can get um, autographs and memorabilia and and you know merch from from hackers themed um, stuff that you know I personalize also and we got beautiful stuff on there and thank you so much to all the fans that have you know gone on there and and you know are just keeping it alive. But yes, it's called phantomfreak.com. And then I have my own design website where I I sell my own T-shirt designs and my um, sneaker designs. And it's called rentallynyc.com. Very cool. Sweet. I have a habit of buying stuff from every guest. So I'm sure I'll be there. <laughs> Thank like I you. just got I just got uh Chris Ballou's um from Presidents of the United States of America. He does drawings, awesome drawings, and he I just got it. We hung it in the studio. It looks amazing. So yeah, I'll probably definitely pick something up from there as well. I've been oh, thinking about great. buying one of those uh the floppy disks you sell, the yellow ones. I think that'd be that would be so amazing to have as a collector. Well, thank you. Yeah, those are flying off the shelf. And I love I love signing them. All of them are uniquely signed by me. So um, it's great. I love it. Let me ask you, where do you get the discs from anymore? Well, you know, I'm so grateful that it, I was approached by someone who does website developing and merchandising and stuff. And so they said, like, we can do this. We can do that. 
And we loved the discs idea when they were like, we can get these discs, the floppy discs, and then you can sign them if you like. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. So that's how that happened. Is like, do they have to be yellow when you sign them? Is it preferred? No, we, um, there's different choices on there. You could get yellow, blue, red. There's, uh, um, you have yeah. like, you can pick. That's very cool. Trevor, yeah. if you want to follow it, it was the 25th anniversary, what, back in September, right? Yeah. For this movie? Yeah. Was it, you got to go yellow, man. The, the well, that's what I would get. I mean, come on. Oh, all right. Oh, for, oh you're talking <laughs> yeah, for, exactly. for everybody else. All right. Very good. Oh, yeah. I mean, some people get the yellow and then some people do get the other colors. I mean, they're adorable and they're like really stylish. So it's cool. Do they come preloaded with the garbage file? <laughs> Only half of it. Oh, okay. Yes, but be very careful because you don't want the FBI on your tail. <laughs> don't blame me. I'll, you know what? I'll just rat out. I'll just rat out Man Crush because he has that box. So I don't have that box anymore. <laughs> hey, I don't have that box anymore. I do have, matter of fact, which is pretty funny, and we can get on with the game here in a second, but this sits by my desk. I just realized. <clears throat> You see that? Oh, 2600, yeah. oh, uh, the book. Yeah. Oh. This is like a compendium of like years worth of 2600s. Is that a hardcover? Yeah. Oh, very cool. Nice. I bought that like a, a long time ago. That would be awesome to get signed by one of you guys. Sure. You see, well, you that's the other thing. You can go, you can write to phantomfreak.com and we also do special orders. Guys. <laughs> And then I, and by the way, I have two Yorkies. So what they do, of course, is they like anything they hear outside, they make a big fuss. Of course. Come on, guys. But then nobody knows. They're like wagging their tail behind the door, but it works. <laughs> Menacing Yorkies. All right, Man Crush, we're heading into the two-point rounds, and you've tied up the game at one point apiece. What category are we going with next? All right, let's go... This is where it gets tough. Let's go to television. Let's start out there. Let's go uh, December 10th, 1997. I found this one interesting, and it's it's not the show itself, but it's something that I found that Tony Danza said afterwards. And I'm going to harken back to an episode we did like a little bit over a month ago with the fellas from the Orange Years. We were talking a lot about Nickelodeon on that episode. And one point, we were specifically talking about Nick at Night. And I can't recall if this was Adam Sweeney or Scott Barber that brought this up, but we were talking about family television and how there were certain shows on television, like on Nick at night. Do you remember sitting around the television with mom and dad and watching these shows? And this quote that I found from Tony Danza here resonated with me for that reason, but I'll give you a little background on the show first. So in September of 1997, NBC debuted the Tony Danza show. And I'm not talking about the 2004 Tony Danza show, which was a talk show. Exact same name. Totally different show. This was a sitcom where, once again, Tony Danza, he's a single parent. He's taking care of two daughters. He's got a rebellious 16-year-old, and he's got an 11-year-old who's a super hypochondriac. She's got a disease every five minutes. As NBC typically does, we've gone over this. Uh, their poor handling of shows on this show before countless times. They debuted the pilot going head-to-head with a ratings juggernaut. They had the Country Music Awards were on. This was during the pilot. And then, after three episodes, they took it off on Wednesday nights for the entire length of sweeps. So the pilot was barely seen because it had a really competitive time slot. Then they take the show off the air for basically six weeks. 
before bringing it back on December 3rd. So really, NBC never really gave this show a shot. So anyway, so I found this article. It's from December 15th, where Tony Danza, he's talking about trying to fight to stay on the air and keep the show alive. I'll give you a spoiler. It didn't work. The last episode was actually played on December 10th, and the show ended after five episodes. But, I mean, here's the part that resonated with me. Let me just find it from this article, because I think this is a great point. I'm bucking a trend, Danza said in resignation. People clamor for family entertainment, but they don't watch it. And that's true of movies as well. He cited a recent screening at 7 p.m. on a local channel for Pulp Fiction, a movie filled with violence, sex, dope, and obscene language. And he says, this is from Tony Danza, I don't care if Quentin Tarantino edited the whole thing over and redubbed every line, Danza said. The movie should not be on at 7 o'clock. The kids usually at that time are watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and then going instead they're seeing Sam Jackson shooting a guy in his head. And he said, I'm doing a show where my daughter is getting her first phone on the other networks. They're doing penis jokes and everyone's making out. There's no such thing as family hour anymore. And he goes on to say, like, he's trying to sell a show for this family hour, which it kind of was. And it really took me back to that episode and what we were talking about with those guys because that's not around anymore. They're, like, I have a 14-year-old now, and there's hardly any family shows that we sit around and watch. Mm. So I thought this was like, it's bad for multiple reasons. One, NBC totally fucks it up, gives this guy five episodes, really puts him in a bad spot, you know, just from the pilot on. He's, he's climbing uphill. And then on top of that, he's trying to make this family entertainment show and nobody's watching it. NBC cuts it. And it's kind of like the end of an era right there. December of 1997 with Tony Danza show ending after five episodes. All right, Trevor, what did you bring for the television round? Uh, a family show. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it, it's not the show itself. It's uh, more what happened in the show. December 15th, 1989, the fourth episode of the first season of family member matters. The debut of Urkel. Oh. everyone's favorite annoying neighbor who was charming and kind of funny for eh, a couple years. Then they gave him his own dance. They gave him his own cereal. <laughs> his talking toy. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. He had the, yeah, that talking Urkel doll. It just, it was, it just became oversaturation. Yeah. So it was way too much of a, of a semi okay thing. And the character, you know, I don't know if really you could get, get away with this kind of character. Right at this time, because he, he didn't know how to take no for an answer. So, I mean, he was a little stalker. Very and kind of gaslighty. So, you know, the premiere of Urkel was kind of the start of a downward trend. You know, it became less about the family, the Winslows, and more about Jaleel White and Urkel. You got to have to wonder if the cast resented him for that. You know, it was this really nice family show about a working class African-American family. And suddenly they bring in a stereotypical nerd and suddenly he becomes the talk of the town and the biggest thing in television. So my choice for December 1989 is the debut of Urkel. Let me ask you this question. If they didn't have Urkel, do you think they'd be mad if they got canceled after two seasons for not having Urkel? Because he kind of carried that show. He did carry the show. he He did. But I think they were trying to do something different. That's TGIF prime time, baby. I mean, and this is back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, where 
the only notable African-American family on television was the Cosbys. They were diversifying the TGIF lineup, and I think that's a great thing. So, I mean, I think they wanted to do that on their own without having to rely on a on a catchphrase. Yeah, what was his catchphrase? Did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good acting, Trevor. Thank nice. you. And I didn't go to school in New York. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I went to high school in Shoreline. Wow. Good acting. Good acting for Shoreline. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, all this talk of uh, family television tonight makes me feel right at home because we're going to go to a television show that I was forced to watch as a young child because my sister and my mother were huge fans of this. And it's wholesome family television. Or is it? We're going to Little House on the Prairie, episode entitled The Gift. Now, in this episode, Mary is entrusted with all of the revenue that's been collected from her Sunday school class so they can buy the reverend a birthday present. Now, they find this incredible Bible that's leather-covered, can get his name embossed in gold in it, but it costs $3, and they only have $1.67. So what do they do? And out of a magazine, they find they can buy a whole case of holistic medicines for $1.50 and then sell them at $0.25 a bottle. They'll have the money in no time. So basically, Laura and Mary become drug dealers and pushers to try to earn money to get a better Bible for their reverend. They start having a hard time selling all these elixirs and vials. And a con man happens to come to town. And, uh, of course, the Ingalls' mother gets taken in by him, and she feeds him and falls for his woes. So the girls, they pick up a few tips from him. So Laura disguises herself as a poor child who has been orphaned and is just trying to uh, sell these holistic medicines to save her family. And, of course, it doesn't work because in the town of all of 50 people, they recognize who Laura Ingalls is. The drug so, dealer. Right. Drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm picking for the worst of television. Little House on the Prairie, episode entitled The Gift. It was uh, December 17th, 1975. I can't watch that regularly. No. Matter of fact, I watched this episode twice for all of you duelers. The first time, I only got halfway through it because it put me to sleep. And I woke up, and it was playing like three episodes later. And Mark, I thank you for your sacrifice. (laughs) <laughs> now it's on your algorithm so oh, it's, it's gonna keep horrible, popping man. up we see you like little house how would you like to watch dr quinn <laughs> oh my goodness all right so let's toss it down to Renly for the verdict on the television round this is a tough one um well i have to say i mean i know it was a horrible episode but hearing about Little House on the Prairie only gives me nostalgia that I'm so proud of. And I just want to see little Laura right now. <clears throat> you need a fix? <laughs> yeah, I just want a Little House on the Prairie fix. Then, you know, I mean, Urkel was, that character drove me nuts. I never liked, you know, I never watched the show. I thought it was just obnoxious. Um, but as an actor, I don't want to down, you know, Jaleel White. I mean, that, you know, yeah, that's I fair. mean, that's fair. And I mean, he made, yeah, I mean, he made the money good for him. You know I mean? I, I don't, you know, so I'm going to have to say the worst one would be the Tony Danza cancellation. 
That shit that sucks, right? Yeah, it sucks. And I'm sorry I dropped the S H I T word. Oh no, you you could totally curse. You can yeah, curse. That shit sucks, man. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he waited for the two point round. Shit. And you know, I know what that feels like a little bit because the first thing I ever did was a TV show called City Kids, and it was a darn good show that broke a lot of ground. It was very much like before the whole Glee thing. I mean, there was like a singing and and performing and the songs. You know, we look at sometimes. You know, some of us stay in touch, and they play the shit from back in the and the fucking songs were amazing, and the sh- you know the singing and everything. So I know what Tony Danza went through in the sense of like when a good show, a good production is going on, and the network just keeps dropping the ball, and they don't know what to do with it, and then it what gets was lost. City Kids on? Was that was that Fox? ABC. ABC. Oh, it was ABC. Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. I remember see yeah. I remember the show. Yeah, Saturday mornings. It, yeah. it sucks. Like, ABC, we don't bring up as much for, for fucking things up. NBC is notorious. Like, we've come across so many great shows that they've just... Actually, it's one of two things. It's either a great show that they just stop abruptly, so you never get the second season, you never get the... the you never find out what happens. Mm-hmm. Or they just do a really awful pilot where you're like, Why? Did you do this? Yeah. And then they'll, you know, they'll do it for a couple episodes, mm. but that's what NBC does. But that sucks. Like when I was reading that article and, and seeing like how Danza was like going to bat for the show, like he wanted to keep it on the air. So I watched it. It is, it's hard to find because they, they did like, I think a dozen episodes of the show, mm-hmm. but only five aired. So they, obviously it's not going to get a Blu-ray release or something. So on YouTube, you can only find the pilot episode and the, the pilot's not bad. I've seen much worse pilots and it's your typical Tony Danza. It, it is what it is, but it, it definitely deserved more than five yeah. episodes. So I had to give that. that well, Tony Danza has always been kind of the family friendly kind of lovable. He's like Joey without the sex drive, I guess you could say. <laughs> right. From friends. friends. Uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Tony Danza was a freaking star he was such a great TV and he seemed star. like such he's he's always come out he's always seemed like the nicest guy he and i can kind of understand where he's coming from and he had a pedigree too i mean a guy came from taxi and then who's the bosses are both shows that were on for a long time yeah why would you give him five episodes just let it play out totally Douches. that guy's an idiot at abc <laughs> angela they canceled my show what's going on here? i was on abc angela <laughs> No, this one was NBC, but we'll, ABC was also for uh, for getting rid of your show. They're assholes, yeah. and NBC also assholes for getting rid of the show. Thanks. All right, Man Crush. <laughs> we're heading into the final music round, and you've jumped out to a three-to-one lead. Would you like to go first, or are you going to defer your uh, pick? I'm going to defer. I will defer. Uh, let's go, Trevor. All righty. You get the music round. Okay. This um, album made its debut in 1989, but the single from the album made its debut December 12th, 1989. The album was called Hook. Uh, the album was re-released actually in 1990, though you may know it better as To the Extreme. The single released was called Ice Ice Baby, and it was a big hit single, and it was our fault. We all did this. We have no one to blame but ourselves for this thing. I mean, we gave this guy a movie. We gave him a cameo in a Ninja Turtles film. You know, this is a worst of episode, yeah, right? Yeah, and 
this is the worst. Because <laughs> we, we all got sick of it. Cool as ice. No, we all got sick of it. So drop that zero and get with this hero. So I'm going to need you all to stop, collaborate, and listen. Because my pick for the worst of 1989 is the release of the single Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Oof. Wow. Man, that that's almost as uh, triggered a pick as Drew Zachman picking Christmas Story in a Worst of episode a couple months ago. <laughs> I came to play, guys. I came to play. All right. So for my pick, we'll go over to the Anderson Herald, December 17th, 1975, in a section called Accent on Youth. They review all kinds of new albums, and in this particular issue, they review Equinox by Styx. And the review reads, All right, I've been sitting here for 21 minutes, and honestly, I can't think of one good thing to say about this album. Where do five guys from the south side of Chicago get off singing with English accents? The promo material included with the record boasts their recent single, Lady, which sat in the bin for three years before being re-released. The material on Equinox sounds just as old, worn, and outdated. The article then goes on to describe the album track by track, ripping each one apart, and then closes with, At the risk of belaboring the issue, I challenge anyone to explain the significance of this album's title, Equinox. And then there's the album's cover photo, including a burning ice cube. As all of you literary buffs know, the Styx is a stinky river that flows through hell which I suppose tells more about the group's music than any review could. So that's what I have for the music round. It's Equinox by Styx. It was the band's fifth studio album. Uh, it stalled at number 58 on the charts uh, before eventually going gold in 1977, only on the heels of release of their next album. Wow. So yeah, random Styx album. There's no, that's kind of like that uh, REO Speedwagon album that I had that was only released in Japan. Oh, was that the one one you couldn't find anymore? Not even on Spotify? Yeah, yeah. It's like very, like, it's not on Spotify. It's not streaming anywhere. Uh, Hey, guys, can I take a break real quick? Be right back. Yeah. Where are you going? The bathroom. (laughs) Put that on the episode. I'll be right back. Oh, we will. (laughs) Oh, man. Dude, I just watched uh, while he's gone. I, uh, I just watched Hackers again. Dude, I, I love that movie. I mean, I've, I've seen you in like a ton of stuff. Obviously, like Con Air is great. I saw that movie like multiple times in theaters. But Hackers is fantastic. And it it's probably because I grew up on all the computer stuff. And I, I just loved how everything uh, rolls in the movie. But like down to the style, like everything that you guys were doing. And I know it's like it's over the top, but it's still great. It's it's still fantastic. Even today in 2020, I'm watching it and it holds up, which a lot of movies I I can't say that for from my youth. So thank you for that. That's a fantastic movie. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, you know, I, I, um, I never get tired of hearing something, you know, uh, 
positive about that film and thank you. I mean, it really was, we had so much fun making it and um, it's, it's always like really, really meaningful when people say that because when we were making it, Oh, dude, the that, talk that, yeah, that's that, you know, one of the, the reasons I think it was still was like, works. Oh, in the future, because now you, know, you can watch it. This, and you're like, like, in the well, future, in the future. I, I mean, so they were always trying to using, we're not using our hands what yet. What the like, future you know, be like? Like everyone was and doing. And they over were the past trying to imagine in, in, uh, what cinema, people, you know, with computers, but would be wearing it's going to get there. So I think you guys were a little bit ahead of the curve on that. Because if you would have done it the way that we were really doing it at that time, twenty-five years because I was on like IRC, the internet was not. What they the wanted to now. do everything it's was just such a beautiful thing unless you were on like aol or something and you weren't going to do a two-hour movie sitting on irc which is internet relay chat where it's all text and your websites are all text. it would have been boring as hell it would have been great for a worst of episode <laughs> <laughs> i probably still would have liked it because actually um sneakers is like that remember the movie yes, sneakers yes S- sneakers is very much like that but that's like a very deep movie and it's, you know, it goes over a couple decades and stuff. So, but yours is a very time sensitive piece and the, everything that was going on. That's why I always tied it back to that whole MOD thing is because that happened. Like, I think it was like 90, 91 when they all got busted. So I don't know if they pulled pieces of that to put the movie together, but it always resonated. So that it's really awesome, man. So as soon as that's, when I came across your, your name and somebody mm-hmm. was like mm-hmm. uh, promoting your stuff on our, yeah. our Facebook page or on our Facebook group. And I was like, holy shit, they're actually, they're selling stuff from the movie. And, and then I went to the website, the Phantom Freak website. And I was like, this is awesome. So that's why I sent the message. I was like, we got to have them on. This, yeah. This I was excited great. to be invited on. Totally not disappointed at all. Fantastic. All right, Ben crush. Mm-hmm. Why don't you wrap up this game with your music selection? Mm-hmm. All right. So I just finished pandering to the judge for five minutes, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do my thing here. So we're going to go uh, December 1st of 1997. Now, normally like I try to consume all of my picks. If I can, if it's a movie or a TV show, I'll watch it. If it's a hot product, I'll try to get my hands on it. If I can, I'll get it. If it's music, I'll listen to it. However, after just looking at the cover of the CD, there was huh. zero fucking chance I was going to listen to this. Uh, listen, I, I share my Spotify account with my immediate family. So my daughter and my wife. So just having them see that on my history, like I, and they know that I do this show. So I don't think that would be hard to explain. I think the worst part of this, like I don't want Spotify to know that I listen to the CD. Like I said to Mark before, like, I don't want this fucking up my algorithm where they're like throwing it out there. Like, Oh yeah. Oh, here, here's this album. You like this. So you'll like this. Uh, but anyhow, in 1997, uh, this kid is—he's like the David Hasselhoff of kids' music. Uh, we got Aaron Carter. Uh, he's the <laughs> nine-year-old brother of Backstreet Boy heartthrob Nick Carter, and he released his debut album, which is called Aaron Carter. They're—they're uh, they're really trying to double down on that Carter name here. Uh, and I said he's like the Hasselhoff of kids' music because. Much like the Backstreet Boys debut, which actually I had that pick uh, maybe last year. I had, I think it was 1997 as well. Uh, maybe it was a summertime episode. They also released their album first in Europe. That's right, folks. Us Americans, we would have to suffer for one more year without Aaron Carter's musical prowess uh, because we wouldn't get it until like sometime in 1998. But matter of fact, they released this sucker twice in Europe. 
before wow. the U.S. ever even got it. They released it in Europe, and then they did like a remix and added like a song. Uh, but the album in the U.S. when we finally got it, it uh, would peak at number seventeen on the U.S. Heat Seekers chart. So you know it's huge. Uh, however, this was a juggernaut overseas. It would go number five in Norway, number 13 in Germany, number eight in Denmark, number five in Taiwan, and number 16 in Sweden, uh, leading us leading to ask us the question, what the fuck are they listening to overseas? Like, <laughs> like why, why is this debut album that high up? Uh, overall, this album, it would end up selling over a 1 million or 1 million copies to adoring fans worldwide. The album also would have four amazing singles, uh, including Crush on You, Crazy Little Party Girl, which is kind of weird coming from a nine-year-old kid, uh, I'm Gonna Miss You Forever, and then rounding everything out, completely butchering Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. I mean, that in itself is, is reason enough to win this round. I mean, that's just blasphemous for a nine-year-old to put out Surfing USA. Like, no. Uh, but that's what we got. We got Aaron Carter with Aaron Carter. And that was December 1st, 1997. Okay, um, you know how you criticize me for my vanilla ice pick? Oh, stop. You're, you're not even going to say you I have a couple like Aaron Carter songs on my iPod. From his debut? Oh, not from the debut. From the okay. Aaron's Party Come Get It era. You know, where he did that song. <laughs> that's nope, how I don't, beat Shaq. I don't, know, I don't know that one either. If you threw out a Backstreet Boys song, I probably would have knew it. But like Aaron Carter, I have no no clue. Uh, it's it's a guilty pleasure. It's stupid teen bop bullshit, but I still bob my head to it. Wow. Well, I would want to... I got to hear um, some Aaron Carter now. I don't know why. You got me curious. <laughs> you want me to sing it for you? Yeah, go ahead. Give me a little bit. Why not? People all around, you got to come get it. Everybody got to sing around, come get it. Aaron's house, you got to come get it. What? <laughs> sing it again. People got to come get it. From the left to the right, make noise, come get it. Okay, Wait, that's not from his debut, though. That sounds no, 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 pretty no. polished. He didn't say he wanted to hear from his debut. He said he wanted to hear Aaron Carter. So I gave oh, him you Aaron give Carter. Us... All right. Yeah, um, yeah. Right, that works. Yeah. Well, you know, weirdly enough, this, sound, this is going to sound super weird to you guys. If one of you can look this up, but I, I wasn't seeing things. I remember reading this once, which is that Bruce Willis, for some reason, bought Aaron Carter a car. Like That's weird. random birthday present or something? Or... <laughs> that sounds like a payoff. That's weird. I mean, I'm like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like Aaron Carter needs someone to buy him a car. Bruce Willis should be buying me a car. Right. I don't know why that happened, but he must have had a guilty pleasure. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I found something like that on Reddit. You so found I'll it? Take it for what it is. Bruce Willis bought child pop star Aaron Carter $1 million worth of gifts when Carter was in his early teens. It's very bizarre. Yeah, hmm. he's paying for his silence. It's it's listen, guys, and I read it on page six, which is the New York Post, which they totally, you know, they don't really lie um, about stuff. So, yeah, that's why I never forgot it. I was like, wait, this is I'm trying to make. Sense. And listen, I know Bruce Willis. I've, I've met him before when I was before I made movies and he was very, very, very nice. But I mean, I, I'm not trying to say nothing, but, you know, but he didn't buy you a car. No. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't that nice. It wasn't that well. I mean, I wasn't an art. I wasn't a, a known star then or anything. But I, I actually just weird things of life. You know, back. Uh, you know, funny things that happened. I sang on stage with him um, once. Oh wow! Um, because I, 
yeah, because of um, Demi Moore was involved with City Kids, the theater group I told you about that Donald Faison and I were a part of. And so then we did like a fundraiser and she was involved and Bruce, you know, she brought Bruce and, and that was that, you know? And then since we were performers and he was a singer for a moment, remember yeah, he had his albums out and yep. yeah. Under the boardwalk. That's right. He sang in a, uh, was it a beer commercial? It was a, or a, it was wine, a wine cooler. cooler. Wine cooler. Bartles yeah, and James. Yep. Yes. He sung in a <laughs> Bartles and James commercial. <laughs> Classic. And he had that album, Return of Bruno, which I own yes. on vinyl. Hysterical. It's all coming back. I know. Actually, I thought Respect Yourself was a kind of a, a pretty decent cover. Um, it was, you know, he had a decent voice. It's just that he got, he took mm-hmm. it way too seriously. You're right. He took it way too seriously. He should have had more fun with it. And maybe people would have been a little more adaptive to it. But, you know. You are so, yes. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I don't know if you saw a clip of him back in American Bandstand, like in the 60s or 70s, way before he you know, got in television and movies and before the other later music career. But did you see anything of that, Trevor? I didn't. I don't he, think so. OK, well, just to back that up, he was on American Bandstand um, He getting, you know, he got a shot then in like the 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he had a he had a titty attack on on the on the show oh, really? because like somebody played something wrong and you know instead of just being laid back like yeah okay let's do it he was like no man do you know, do you know what you're doing like, <laughs> man. Like, you know. that's kind of his rep though it's still kind of his yeah. reputation even today right well so guys again because i've met to me many times and bruce was nice i'm not bashing bruce <laughs> i'm not saying you know no we hear you we got you go. know of course just not. simply course bringing not. up that he spent a million dollars on aaron carter <laughs> Which is weird. Go figure. I know. <laughs> I only spent 99 cents. Let's go down to our judge, Renly Santiago, for the final ruling on this game. I would have to say it's very tough. It is because um, Ice Ice Baby I thought was pretty cool, believe it or not. I mean, I got on the bandwagon of being annoyed by it when it was over. But I liked that. Let's face it. Let's give him props. He was one of the first white rappers, right? And he kind of broke that ceiling open um, for people like Eminem and everybody else, I feel. You know what I mean? Um, Yes, and he was a legitimate hit. And he was a good-looking guy. Um, Then we got... Who do we got? I think Styx takes it for the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I saw Styx in concert about three years ago. They're one of the opening acts for Def Leppard. How was it? And they were Tommy Shaw has amazing. still got it. He has got such a good voice. Yeah, dude, I was shocked. Because we see it like we live by Bethel up here. So Bethel will get like, uh, you know, a, a decent sized band. And then they'll have like an older band as the opener usually. And some of them kind of let you down a little bit. They did not. They were yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, all really the, listen, all of them were competitive, but listen, if you get a million dollars from Bruce Willis, you're fucking hot. <laughs> then if you get <laughs> Ice Ice Baby, you know what I mean? And then Sticks, unfortunately, had to take the brunt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sticks. All right, Man Crush. Well, you know what that means. We're all tied up. So it's between you and me to go to the final wild card round. All right, I'll make my I'll make mine quick because I I only picked one thing, and again, this is uh, I'm gonna go with television on mine, and I'm gonna go with the show Men Behaving Badly. Do you guys remember this one with Rob Schneider? Yeah, I thought it was a great show, and it only lasted two seasons, and it got canceled. 
on uh, in December. Only lasted two seasons. Yeah, they used to play it on like USA in the mornings. It was like a, a block with that and the single guy, Caroline in the city. All right, guys. So we'll go to my wild card round pick, and we're gonna go to a little college football action. For the Blue and Gray Football Classic. Now, this was a classic that's, well, not even classic anymore because they canceled it. It was the uh, college football all-star game. But on this one, they split the teams up between players that played for schools that were part of the Confederacy and players against schools that were part of the North during the Civil War. And that's not even the worst thing about this. They couldn't even hold on to getting the, the, the game broadcasted on television regularly. So one year, even, in 1975, December 28th, 1975, we'll go over to the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where they talk about this game. An independent TV network recently ordered officials of the Blue and Gray All-Star Game to shorten the first quarter from 15 minutes down to 12 minutes to avoid paying an overtime bill for using the airways past 10 p.m. (laughs) Referees and timekeepers not only obeyed the directive, they followed the network's later directive to lengthen the fourth quarter to compensate for the game's rapid pace. So, of course, fans were completely outraged by this because it altered the gameplay, and because they slowed down the fourth quarter, the North team was allowed to mount a big comeback and win 14-13. to 13. Wait, how, many, how much did they extend the fourth quarter to? It doesn't say. <laughs> it's a half hour. Just as they, they elongated the fourth quarter. So, yeah, that's what they did to try to get to hold this thing on television. And uh, luckily, it hasn't been played since 2003. So that's what I got for my wild card round pick. I was saying before I got my power dipped out here, I got Rob Schneider. This, Rob Schneider was on the show. We also had Justine Bateman was on this one. And uh, Rod, what was his name? Ron uh, Eldard? Oh, Ron, Ron Eldard. Yeah. yeah, Eldard. Great show. But it was only, again, NBC. Screw the pooch on this one. Only got 35 episodes and it was over in two years. All right, so we're done with the wild card round. I guess there's only one thing left to do, and that's go down to our celebrity guest judge, Renaldi Santiago, for the final ruling on this game. I would have to go with, I mean, my goodness, especially with the year we've had. We're talking about bad. That football game sounds like a crock of shit. Give me a break. That's the worst. All right. So you know what that means, duelers. I actually pick up a win in this one. So thanks a lot to our judge, Renalee Santiago, for helping me out on that one. (laughs) Can't believe we went all the way to the, uh, the wild card round, and I had to pull out the blue and the gray football classic. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't expecting to get a tie. I'm never in. expecting to get a Nin- tie. 97, <laughs> what you notice a lot. I mean, we, we cover the 80s quite a bit, Like especially like I get the 80s quite a bit. So when I get the 90s, there is a lot of garbage in the 90s. But when we try to do a worst of 90s episode, I didn't have that much garbage. There was some stuff that was garbage, but it wasn't like a plethora of garbage. But I got yeah, close. That was, close than, that was my close problem, than I too. Thought. That was my problem, too. It was, like, really hard to find, like, shit in my year. Um, <laughs> it really was. I was like, music? I, I mean, I've never heard these bands, so I can't really assume. Movies. Okay, what what came out in December? Uh, She-Devil? Uh, uh, 
<laughs> the wizard. I love the wizard, so I can't do that. So I was kind of kind of up against a corner here. I was actually uh, I was a little shocked that Home uh, Home Alone three didn't pull off a movie round. I thought that was I thought that was my best pick of all five of my picks. I know, but <laughs> since Macaulay was in my school and stuff, <laughs> that, that threw a curveball. <laughs> It just goes to show you never know you what never the judges know. here on Dueling Decades are going to choose. That's why yep. I like having them on. But do you have anything coming up or anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Well, sure. Well, um, definitely, you know, check out my site, phantomfreak.com and rentallynyc.com. And um, I do have a movie coming out next year. It's a small role, but it's a cool film. Um, it's like a wolf werewolf movie type of thing um it's called three days rising and um mickey rourke is in there too nice so it's a, yeah it'll be a fun thing and then um you know uh i'm recording i'm getting ready to record more stuff and then we'll see what else comes up very cool yeah it's a tough year yeah yeah have when did you guys record that movie like prior to the pandemic or you did it this year yeah we did it this year before the pandemic <sighs> that sucks yes. so do you know the date that this is going to come out or they don't even know yet with the whole, uh... no, they're still, they're still editing. It's still in post-production. So, um, I, I probably would imagine, um, I still, I think that'll probably come out in 2021. That's cool. We had this conversation with Keith Coogan like months ago and we were talking mm -hmm. about this last week off the air. Like what are your general feelings about watching a movie that just came out at home? as an actor and somebody that, you know, your movies go to the big screen. What do you feel about like people just like watching it in their houses? Does it lose the feel? Does it lose the mm -hmm. luster of what you guys create it for? Or does it not matter to you at all? Um, I'm grateful to see that a lot of good material has been coming out. So it doesn't feel as bad, but yeah, I mean, it, it does. It, 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 it's uh, the magic of seeing something in a theater is always the best way to see a you know film and when it just comes out because that that gives it like its best medium to be really like appreciated and it's like such a grand kind of um you know setup but i'm you know i'm i'm glad that the transition into like television with the, the films and stuff hasn't been so bad and then there's like really great stuff like on HBO Max and stuff like that and, and Netflix that um, has made it easier, you know, um, but it's tough. When you watch a film at home that just came out, does it bother you that like, say a movie like Tenet, it was made for the theater and then it, you know, where we rent it on VOD and it doesn't have that same feel when you're watching it at home yourself. Do you feel like, kind of let down by a movie like that or do you have like that wanting in the back of your head to just wait until the theaters open back up so you can go and watch it in a theater and you just forget about watching it at home yeah um i've just been trying to accept you know what i mean um because especially since i do work as an art as an actor and an artist and stuff i don't want to have i'm very big on no negativity you know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm, yeah. And I feel that that can affect, you know, there's a lot of people, cynicism out there and stuff, you know? And so I don't want to get, you know, in that mood, but um, it's definitely, you know, a drawback in the sense that it's just, you know, a shame 
but um, but I'm grateful at least that there's a way. You know what I mean? It would be much worse if these films didn't have the way to get out. That would have been like just that the worst. Sucked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. especially yeah. over the summer we were waiting. And we really didn't have anything lined up. And we were like, ah, like, didn't even feel like summer. There was no big blockbusters yeah. coming or anything. Yeah, there was like a whole month and a half where just everything stalled because they were waiting to see. And nothing got released. We were like in a, we were, we were like in a holding pattern for like half the summer. Yeah. yeah. Speaking it, of negativity, a, a role that you were in, this was actually a pick of mine, like maybe like two weeks ago three weeks mm -hmm. ago i had daylight as mm -hmm. uh as my movie pick and this was on a best of episode it wasn't on a worst of episode i love that movie I saw it in the theaters but the scene where you're scared as shit and you're on the bus mm -hmm. and uh i, for I always forget her first name but I brenneman amy brenneman she's mm -hmm. yeah she's trying to talk you out dude what was that like because you look scared as shit in that scene like there was no shit like uh electric cable like flying all over the place how did you get in the mindset to even act that way because you wouldn't move you were like no, i'm not going i'm not going i'm not going yeah wow thank you so much that means a lot man I, that really does because uh i really put a lot into that performance and a lot into that that film um and it was a pleasure to make but it's very emotionally draining because imagine imagining you know having to step into being in a uh, a catastrophe like that and you know and being in the fire so with that scene that ironically was one of like that scene was shot in the first week of the of us making the movie i mean it was a nine month shoot wow. so yes so i'm i'm just amazed that you brought up that scene because um again it was like the first week so it's like any job even if it's a movie or a regular job you know you everybody's basically just getting to know each other and you know, everybody, you're new, you don't have any really ties with anyone yet or anything, and you got to go in and do this heavy scene and, you know, all this other stuff. So I just remember um, I did my research, you know, on on, on addiction and, and also, uh, you know, what, like, the disasters. And um, it was just that. I mean, I just totally gave myself into the moment. But I do remember, I'm, I, it's funny that you bring that up because it was also a lot of movie magic and pretending. So that's really cool that that scene, I've never heard anybody mention that scene. So you always like, not that I try to, you know, worry about things, but, you know, I always like, it's good to know that it came off well enough that somebody like yourself would remember it and stuff, you know, because, you know, really honestly, like that wire, that was just us pretend. It was like, you know, when you're acting, it's so funny, but it's like if somebody grabs a bell, you know, and they're right. like, look, just pretend it's on. You know what I mean? And then, <laughs> and then you gotta be like, wow. Okay, so, like, so that, that cable wasn't even there? It was there, but it Oh, was, but it wasn't, obviously it wasn't live or anything. Well, it had like, you know, like little chip, like in real life, it wasn't a thread. It's just a freaking yeah. piece of, uh, 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 you know, cable. Rubber or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's. I'm glad that we built suspense around that damn fit, just a freaking dead cable that we, you know, it, uh, you got to like, you know, that's the movie magic, you know? Yeah. That whole scene, man, like Amy Brenneman taking her boots off yeah. and using them like gloves to grab that, that cable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's a great scene. Like you watch it, and that starts out the movie after the whole thing happens. That's like one of the first things you see. Yes. And you know, before Stallone even gets there, and uh, you know, it's just you guys. Yes, and, and I remember you guys yeah. are building that up. Thank you. And I remember when we shot it, and you know, as an actor watching her, you know, thinking, okay, I hope she feels like you know, knowing that she's got because when she grabbed that that cable and had to do, she had to physically you know, that wire was not really moving, dancing around. She had to make, move her body around like she was fighting with the wire. You know what I mean? And and so that was all her, you know, um, faking it, you know? That is incredible. Yeah. Like, did anybody get sick during that? I always think about that in water movies. Yeah. Because you guys are wet, like, all the time, right? Great question. The The water was heated. <laughs> no shit. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, we were in so you guys are pool. just faking being cold. Yes. <laughs> heated pools. Um, when we did the scene, the water scenes, it was just a lot of changing in and out of clothes because like if the scene starts a certain way and you're not as wet, and then by the time all this happens, you're soaking wet, once they call cut, we gotta go back into um certain sections this was a huge set so and it was in italy they they did a, a model of the holland tunnel that was actually 10 new york city blocks long which is you know the the actual tunnels like a, over a mile and so they did it in a curve so when you look at it it looks long you know what i mean that visual right yeah and um so they we would have to walk off that set go into these carts where they would drive us back in these golf carts to dry up again to change back into you know your your costume again to go back and do that scene again so that during that section we were getting wet like nine times a day like changing and drying up again and stuff so that was like you know you know what the best yeah. part of that movie is though mm-hmm. and it and i'm sure they they delivered it like this for me it was the best part because the dog dies mm-hmm. but then the dog comes back at the end. And I was like, thank you. Like the guy's a spoiler. If anybody hasn't seen it, spoiler, turn it off. But like the, uh, Cooper, his wife dies the dog. and you don't, yeah, you don't even care about the wife dying anymore. You just want, you're like, but the dog drowned. It's, it's like, the, but then the dog comes back. I'm like, this is the best. Well, it's like the dog yes. made it. It's like the independence day rule. Basically the dog in independence day. Like, no, don't kill the dog. Don't kill the dog. And no, they, you can't, you can't kill a dog. No, you can't kill a dog. And he does this incredible leap into the you know like Roland Emmerich was like I'm not going to kill a dog in my disaster movie I'll kill thousands and thousands of of people around the world but no I'm not killing that fucking dog I love it well I'm glad you brought that up too because the director the dog thing was a big deal to the you know everybody and the director too he was like the dog we got him with the dog you know so (laughs) it was we he knew that he was hoping that you know people would be attached to the dog and then you know when that happened that they would get that kind of, um, you know, reaction. Yeah. And it was so low key the way they did it too, because the dog didn't have like a, we're talking about a dog, about a movie that came out in 1996. <laughs> and it was, they used two dogs. Oh, it was two. Were, oh, really? Yeah. Yes. They gave them one, you know, break in the end. The way that they did it though, was so great though, because it was like a low key, like the dog was there. But it wasn't really mentioned. Nobody's really worrying about the dog. And then all of a sudden the dog just vanishes. And everyone was like, "What? wait, it just it gets you. It was like right in the stomach. You're like, no way. The dog just died. And then, you know, of course the wife dies, but then the dog comes back, saves, you know, everything's good again. But the effects in that movie for 1996 that I talked about a couple of weeks ago is amazing. What yeah. was done in that well, movie. Well, the beauty of those, 
kinds of things and I love is that it's it's you know they really build those sets and so you really are in you know a, a fire pit or really like in in water and and you know that that moment when the ground gives in and we got to go run in to save the the security guy in the truck falls yeah, on him and yep. all that remember yep that was intense man it really was and it was acting but I was, you know, when you got to play that every day and real and you got to put yourself there. I mean, I almost feel like I've survived a, you know, disaster. You know, I know what that feels like, you know. Well, now if this ever happens, you could just be like Stallone, which is the funny part about that movie is like they the only reason that he was able to to fix this whole thing is because he was in this like terrorism in service back in like 94 (laughs) that he keeps bringing up. That he was there. So he's like, you know, he could take care of this because he was at that in service for uh, for terrorism. But now you could be that guy. So if you're ever in the tunnel, people are going to find you because you're going to know how to get out of that thing. If I'm ever if I'm ever stuck in a tunnel, I want Renally to come rescue me because that's the only (laughs) man I will trust to get me out of trouble. Well, Lord forbid. Lord forbid that won't happen. But, dude, thank you so much for coming on and come back anytime and go check out your website. You will see an order from me, I'm sure. Yeah. Me oh, too. Man. It was thank you. Thank you guys. All of you, each and every one of you is amazing. I really think you guys are great. So many blessings. Thank to you, you so much. And your uh your payment to Cash App will be there in a yeah. little bit. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, it was a true pleasure to meet you, Renally. It really was. Um have a Merry Christmas oh. and a happy holiday. Thank you, Trevor. You too, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. God bless you. Stay safe. And yeah, and real. stay in touch. Follow me on on social media. Now you have a new friend. I'll remember All you right. guys. You know. All right, fantastic. Thanks All a right. lot, Thanks, man. man. Take it Take easy. Care. Be well. All right, duelers. Well, I guess we're gonna have to end this episode right here. But don't worry. If you've missed an episode, you can always head back to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, really everywhere podcasts are available. But in the meantime, head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades where you can join our private group and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.